Well, our text for today comes to us from Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. Listen now for the word of the Lord. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him too. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind in the sea, obey him. This is God's word to us. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Good and loving God, thank you for today. God, thank you for the sunshine. God, thank you for this community that is gathered here. Lord, I pray that you would impart your wisdom upon us and that whatever words we would hear would come from you and not from me. In Jesus' name, amen. Our story begins with the phrase, and he began to teach by the sea. It's an interesting place to start teaching, isn't it? By the sea. Why not teach in the temple courts where everyone else did their teaching? Why not on a street corner where there were many passing people and a built-in crowd? Maybe Jesus is teaching by the sea for the same reason that he was not baptized in the temple. He's protesting what he sees as a corrupt religious institution. Or maybe also because he needed to get away from the scrutiny of all the religious authorities. There was too much attention being drawn to him. In any case, he begins to teach by the sea, and it's so wonderful what he's teaching. It's so compelling that a crowd has actually followed him there, out of the city, down to the sea, and they've gathered around him. And the crowd actually grows, and it, it grows and it grows to the point that actually Jesus has to get into this small fishing boat and create some separation between him in the crowd. And he continues to teach from this boat because the crowd is so large and they're continuing to crowd around him and eventually it just becomes too much. He has to get away. He's taught them about the parable of the sower, good seed on good soil yields good fruit. He's taught them the parable of the growing seed, the mystery of creation, in the sense that you get reading all the parables that he's taught him throughout, taught them throughout this day, 
is that no one really understands what Jesus is saying. And actually, as I read through those parables this week, I didn't really know what Jesus was saying either. They're confusing. He spent all this time during this day trying to solve their confusion. He's taken the disciples aside and actually explained to them privately what these parables mean, and they still don't get it. And so by the time evening has come, he's exhausted, totally wiped. He's had enough. Even though the crowd is still there waiting for him to continue and to give them more. But he's not going to do that on this day. He says to his disciples, come on, let's go to the other side. Let's just get away from here. He doesn't really have a final destination in mind. Just let's be not here right now and let's go that way across the sea. As they begin to push off from the beach, Jesus goes near the front of the boat and he falls asleep on a small cushion. Soon after they've left, a storm comes up and the disciples are frantic. Water is coming over the sides, the boat is rolling this way and that. The disciples are doing everything they can to survive. Finally, it seems like that they get to the point that they realize that they're, they're not going to survive. They've given up. Hope is lost, and they are perishing. And they look over to find their teacher who's still sleeping, even amidst this great storm. They wake him up, and they ask him, Teacher, don't you care that we're actively perishing? Don't you care that we're dying right now? Jesus gets up, and, you know, I imagine him just sort of meandering. (laughs) He sits up, and he yawns stretches a little bit. Then he does what we expect our Savior to do. He speaks, quiet, be still. And the sea stops, it's churning, the wind stops rushing, the disciples are saved. God is with them even in the storms. And it says that a great calm comes over the world. And it is into that calm that Jesus asks, why are you now afraid? Why are you now afraid? And the text tells us at this point, not before any of this happened, the text tells us here that the disciples become awestruck, or another word for the Greek there is very, very afraid. Only there in the great calm, after the storm was told to go away, in the unsettling silence that followed it, only then did the disciples grow afraid. When the pandemic first hit last year, I don't think any of us really knew what it would bring, what to expect, or what to do. I think at first, you know, we're just trying to figure out if we were high risk or low risk for contracting the disease. 
We're trying to figure out how to get food safely and efficiently, making sure that family and friends are taken care of, and we're calling around asking everyone they know if they know where the unmute button is on Zoom, right? We're trying to make sure that everyone was fine. We're trying to make sure that people could still experience some sort of life, whether that was keeping church going or whatever organizations we're a part of. We're just trying to make sure that everything doesn't come to a grinding halt. We were frantic like the disciples amidst the storm, running here and there, doing everything we could to make sure we survived. It was as scary as any storm we might encounter. And over the past several months, many of us have lost friends. We've lost time. We've lost jobs. We've lost health, security, motivation, love. And as the storm began to settle and we began to get a grip on living in this new COVID world, something, I think, like a great calm swept over the world. And it was there in that calm after the initial storm that we were able to see clearly what the storm had stirred up. Perhaps it wasn't a great calm, but we found that we had nothing left to distract us from our reality. There were no sports, there were no happy hours, there was no unending busyness in our calendars, there was kind of nothing to do, except for watch Netflix, Tiger King, whatever you're watching. What the storm had stirred up was another reminder that as a nation, as a church, and as a people, we have a lot of work to do. Jesus has come telling people to turn around, to change their behavior, repent or perish, he says a lot in Mark. And I, I always kind of cringe at that saying because I, I grew up in churches where I feel like that phrase was abused, but repent or perish just means y'all need to stop acting like that and you need to start acting another way. He says that a lot to people, and, and I think that saying things like that to other people will never, ever be socially acceptable, will it? I mean, who, who likes to be told what to do? Yeah. Then again, a lot of what Jesus did was not socially or culturally acceptable. He's gotten baptized outside of the temple. He's teaching on a beach away from where the other teachers teach. He's healing the sick on the Sabbath. On and on and on and on. This behavior is what Brian Blunt calls boundary-breaking behavior. Boundary-breaking behavior. And it's upsetting, to say the least. Very upsetting, in fact, to the world Jesus has come to save. It's only slightly less upsetting to his disciples, maybe because they feel somewhat removed from all of the things that he's teaching. Maybe when he says repent or perish, it doesn't sting as much because they know, well, they're one of the good guys, right? They follow Jesus. They get it. They feel like they're on his team. Or maybe they just haven't thought critically at all about what Jesus is saying and they're along for the ride. 
It's just something to do. Or maybe, too, they're amazed by the magic of everything that's happening. The magic of the healings that Jesus has done. The magic of Jesus' teaching and the way he's able to draw a crowd around him. The wonder that a teacher like this exists in the world and has called them to follow him. But after the storm, there in the great calm that settled over the world, I think the disciples finally saw something else. I think they saw that this Jesus was not there to make them feel perfectly pleasant all the time. He was not there to cater to their feelings of comfort and ease or to preserve their limited worldviews. Jesus was not there to make them feel good about the life they were living as compared to others. I think they saw on the great calm after the storm that Jesus was there to save them, but that they too had work to do. And they must have realized too sometime in that calm that comforting and saving weren't always the same thing. The disappearance of the storm had saved the disciples from what would have been certain death, but by no means did it make them feel comfortable. Just the opposite, in fact. They're very, very afraid. The American church, I hope, has learned something in the great calm of the past few months. For centuries, we have been far too comfortable in the great calm of our segregated pews. And we have convinced ourselves that Jesus came to give us that comfort as a gift. Now, finally, I hope, we have seen the rampant racism, bigotry, and white idolatry plaguing our world. For years, the American church has been perfectly at ease watching police brutalize black bodies on the nightly news or in our social media feeds. For years, we've been just fine and dandy living in a society that places limits on people's freedom based on their God-given sexuality. We've been okay making women less human than men. We have encouraged our governments, whether through silence or voting, to expand the military-industrial complex across the globe so that we may feel safe having finally subdued every last human that doesn't look, think, act, or love like we do. We have been bystanders in an economy that is actively making debt slaves out of our college-educated children. We have allowed capitalist tycoons to devastate our communities. We've permitted hatred to be legislated We've been more worried about the number of dollars in our coffers and the number of butts in our pews than about the evil powers and principalities threatening our very existence. We've been silent all these years when God has been calling us to speak. 
And we must remember here that the same Jesus to whom we cry along with the disciples, don't you care that we're perishing? We must remember that this same Jesus calms the storms in our life. This is the God who arrives with a word and hushes the wind and the waves. It's the same God who promises to answer when we call for a vaccine and for a cure. But this is the same one too who is also coming to save us, to break down all our boundaries, segregations, and injustices. And in this great calm after the pandemic, I think it would be wise for all of us to ask what the disciples asked. Who then is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Who then is this Jesus in our lives? And in this calm, what is it that he's trying to speak? Let's pray. Good and loving God, thank you for your word. And God, thank you for coming to save us even when it makes us uncomfortable. God, be with us in the storm and be with us after the storm too. Help us to feel your presence and your love even as we work to bring your kingdom to earth. In Jesus' name, amen.